and so excited about the Word of God today. David Mickelson is a very gifted communicator of the Word. Give him a warm welcome as he shares from the Word today. Do we have me unmuted? Okay. I need this to be exactly straight with the pole or I'm going to, there we go. I've been waiting for this for a long time. It's so good to see you all. It's been, some of you, it's been a couple, three months. Wow. Let's give God a round of applause that we're all here. Nobody looks any older, so that's good. You all, just all, some of you look a little younger. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, I'm feeling the burden of, every time I turn on the news, I feel this, it's like it wants to be a stress ball here. Like, no, don't burn that building down. No, don't attack that person. Um, it's, I don't know if it's righteous wrath or if it's not righteous wrath, but I want to give that to God. And if, if you're feeling that, I just want to give that to the Lord and say, peace on us as well, Lord. Peace on us as well. We don't want to be stressed as a nation as we watch what's going on. We need to be fully at peace so we can be your prayer warriors. Thank you, Jesus. Wasn't that great worship? Thank you to Jim and Tina, Michelle, Bob. That was wonderful. I really like that word um, that was given as well, the prophetic word from Jack. You know, when the children of Israel returned to Jerusalem out of Babylonian captivity, they began to rebuild their temple. And before the temple was even completed... In fact, they had only laid the foundation, the Bible tells us. They hadn't put any walls up yet or anything. Uh, but they still decided they wanted to meet together to worship God together. So they, st they showed up. I'm guessing there was probably a bathroom or two. I can't imagine there wouldn't be. Although the Bible doesn't go into those sorts of details, usually. But they just showed up, and there was just a foundation. But the book of Ezra says they held their very first service. I'm sure there was construction dust everywhere, maybe the occasional tool that was being that was forgotten. I don't know if you've ever tried to do a home improvement project. You always leave your tools everywhere, or at least I do. Uh, measuring tape here, a power drill there. But it says they got together. Ezra 3.11, with praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love endures forever. Yeah. And it says, all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. We are in the midst of laying the foundation of our own return to worship together after a period of exile. Thankfully, ours was not 70 years like theirs was, because it kind of feels like that for those of us that have been doing the live streaming, but uh, <laughs> things still feel a little incomplete. Somehow it worked out that I got to preach at the last full service we had before we went to live streaming. And I said then, and all of our preachers have been in agreement, and all of our prophets have been in agreement, that 2020 is not the year of any virus, uh, but it's... It is the year of Jesus Christ like every other year. So I want us to give a shout today, if you're willing. If you're not willing, then you're just going to have to hear me shout. Uh, we're going to say what they said 15, no, wait, 2,500 years ago. He is good. He is good. He is good. Thank you. And they said his love endures forever. Ready? His love endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we uh, get to start transitioning to coming back. And today is our first, uh, it's just a foundation, but the, the full house of God is going to be restored, isn't it? Yeah. 
all over, not just in New Song, but all over the valley and America. Thank you, Jesus. And we celebrate that victory. We celebrate victory over this virus, and we celebrate victory over the spirit of fear that is trying to take hold in our land. And we celebrate victory over the spirit of hatred that's trying to take hold in our land. Yeah. Right now, as I said, and as uh, we're all aware, American cities, there's rioting, there's chaos. And um, it's true that you can be arrested for reopening your small business. But if you burn down somebody else's small business, no one's getting arrested as far as I can see. You can be arrested for attending church in some states, but not if you burn down a police station. God's people say no to a spirit of fear and a spirit of hatred. We say no to police brutality, which is a real thing, and to rioting. We say yes to reasonable measures to stay safe. And we say no to opening up everything except churches, which is what some people seem to want. So, I've been noticing some of the figures that have been showing how America is changing during this it's been, what, three months now? Shocking rises in alcoholism, drug use, depression, a 1,000% increase in suicide rates. Did you know that? Ten times. We're reminded what the ancient Hebrews understood when they gathered together to worship, though all they had was a foundation to stand on. Collective worship is essential. They wouldn't have used the word church back then, but... It's the same idea. Church is essential. And uh, it's wonderful to see that many of our leaders are saying so, including the president. That was like a breath of fresh air when he said that. So today is Pentecost, as you know. Pentecost. What did he say? Plentycost? What is that? A new kind of tithing? Plentycost? Pentecost derives from the Greek word for 50, since it's 50 days after the Passover. As you know, the Passover is when God delivered the people out of Egypt, and the, the angel of death passed over them because they had the Lamb's blood protecting them. And we have the Lamb's blood over our hearts, don't we? And they had to eat hastily prepared. It was um, flatbread because it was unleavened. And the idea is, eat with your... He said, this is God maybe being a little bit exaggerating, but maybe literal, I don't know. He said, eat with your uh, tunic tucked into your belt and your staff in your hand. Like, you're ready to go right now. Because they, they ate... And then they got freed from slavery after 400 years. So 50 days later, we have today, which is called, in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks. And I know when you read the Old Testament, there's this feast and that feast, and they tend to get confused. So God is very orderly, by the way. And so what he did was, the Passover is tied to the barley harvest, and that's in April, usually. And then the Feast of Weeks was tied to the first wheat harvest, which is right now. And if you go to Israel right now, they are hauling in their wheat. And I know it sounds strange for those of us who know anything about American farming, because we have our harvest in the fall, and we have our Thanksgiving in the fall. But in Israel, it really was the land of milk and honey. They have three harvests. We only have the one. So I suppose it's for the best that we don't have three harvests here, because that would be three Thanksgivings, and then we would all have tighter <laughs> waistbands. But they have three harvests and three feasts. And this is the second harvest, and the third one is in the fall, and they uh, have another feast then called the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is the Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost. And at this feast, they ate leavened bread, because it symbolizes, now you're home. Now you are settled in your own land. And 
That's where we are. So, I want to quickly look at one verse about this. Deuteronomy 16.10 says, Celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering to the, in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you, and rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Why is he reading that verse? I'll tell you. Question. In the Old Testament, where did they call the place where God permanently established his name? The dwelling for his name. What do you think, Brenda? Yeah. The temple. Very good. I'm sure some of you were thinking that. The temple. And he said to rejoice in the temple at Pentecost. Does that remind you of anything? In the Old Testament, 1,500 years before Acts chapter 2, he says you're going to rejoice in the temple at Pentecost. You see, God was always looking ahead. And so much in the Old Testament points ahead to the new. Because he knew we'd be looking back and be like, wow, cool. Look at what he did. Let's look at the book of Acts and find out what was going on in those seven weeks between the resurrection and Pentecost. Why did God want a seven-week gap there? And what was he doing? He ascended to heaven, there's a gap, and then he poured his spirit out. What was he doing during that time? Why did he want to do that? And what does that mean for us? I think you'll find as God knew what he was doing. So two verses tell us a little glimpse of their lives at that time. Acts 1.14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It's a nice picture of unity. Men and women getting along. Christians getting along, united in prayer. It's a beautiful thing. Here's another. Chapter 2, verse 46. Every day... They continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now think back to God's command for Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. Rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as the dwelling for his name. I love how God was able and is able to completely transcend time. He knew exactly what he was doing. And on that day, there really were two kinds of people in Jerusalem. There were those who had seen the risen Lord with their own eyes, and there were those who hadn't. Jerusalem was a city of between 500,000 and a million people. But how many were there waiting for the Holy Spirit? Only 120, it says, were gathered there that day waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. They had seen the Lord with their own eyes. They, they knew Jesus Christ was resurrected. They had met the resurrected Lord. And how strange and how thrilling it must have been for them to know in this whole city of all these people who are waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah has been among us and he's been resurrected. And how, how strange and thrilling to know that he has entrusted that message just to them to spread to the whole rest of the country. And, you know, I kept thinking about how weird that would have been, but then I realized that it's not much different from how we are today. Because we also are surrounded by the world, but we know that God is among us. And we have been entrusted with his message to share the gospel and to live the gospel. Amen? By the morning of Pentecost, the city would have swelled even larger than 600,000 people roughly. Because you remember all the people would come in from everywhere else for these feasts. They came for the Passover. Now they're here for this Feast of Weeks. They had to travel to Jerusalem three times a year for these feasts. So the city swells. The streets were already crowded. Now they're packed. 
You can't get anywhere. It's like trying to drive in Seattle. You can't get anywhere. And if anyone's ever tried to drive in Seattle, don't. Um, and for these 120 believers, it might have been hard because the last time they saw that city swelling that big, um, it was the Passover, and it would bring back memories of the crowds in the street shouting, crucify him, you know, crucify him. Maybe some of the same faces they saw in the crowd coming back for the Feast of Weeks were the same faces they had seen contorted with rage, calling for the, the death of Jesus. What is God going to do? What's going to happen? And then all heaven bro broke loose. I love that phrase. My dad uses that phrase. I think it's a good one. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, it's the feast. They're all coming from all over. And they heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then it goes on to list, I'm just going to read some of these native languages. Parthians, did you know that was a language? Medes, Elamites. Most of us have never heard of these. Mesopotamians, Cappadocians, Pontins. I'm not going to read the whole list, but it's like 20 different languages that are pretty um, small languages compared to the big modern languages today. But they all heard those languages in their own uh, tongue being spoken out in that city. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What did it mean? You'll note that when the Lord... His presence, the weight of his glory, appeared on the first temple during Solomon's day. What did it do? It filled the building. So now, when his weight of glory comes down a second time at the temple, where does it, where does it rest? On the people. Because now we're his temple, aren't we? And we're still his temple today, and the weight of glory rests on you. No pressure. When my illustrious father, he skipped out of the room, he knows what's coming. When he was a young teen, he attended a youth event. I know it's hard to imagine him as a teenager. For me it is, but it's true. Um, Pastor Jeremiah, if you could hop over to that other computer, we have a, a picture of a 14-year-old Pastor Dan. Why are you laughing, Brenda? The hair? Must be nice to have hair. Okay, we can take that off. I just thought people might be interested in seeing. That was 1968, 1969, or something? Anyway, all of us look a little bit different since then. Well, at this meeting, they, uh, it was a Holy Spirit meeting, and some brave soul called out a message in tongues. And my, my father was a Methodist, so he was like, what's happening? <laughs> a strange tongue. And uh, believe it or not, uh, a lady came forward, a young woman came forward in tears, and she confessed in front of the group that this message had actually been a tongue that she could understand. And she was from Venezuela, but the, the, the message was not Spanish. It was actually a very um, remote dialect, a mountain dialect that only her village spoke in. 
maybe a few hundred people in the whole world spoke this dialect. And this message had called out the gospel of Jesus Christ in her tongue. And she wanted to get saved. So right there in the meeting, she got saved. It's just exactly what happened in Acts 2. Well, that had an impact on young Danny, as he was called back then. Sorry. Am I honoring you? I hope I am. (laughs) And two years later, it kind of percolated through his brain for that two years, and he he decided, this is real, and he got saved. And I'm glad that he got saved, aren't you? For one thing, he met my mom in church, so that worked out well for me. But there's other good reasons why he got saved. That's, that's good. Uh, so in this message, there's a lot of uh, stuff here for us. The first thing I noticed about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the crowd at Pentecost was that it was those who uh, were waiting that received the outpouring. It was only that 120 that had the tongues of flames on them. They were the ones who were faithfully waiting. It was those who sought him day after day in the temple. And it says they prayed continually. Who, it, was, it was those people who were the ones endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus had been super famous. He couldn't even enter a town. You couldn't get a lame man to him without lowering the person through the roof. And he fed 5,000 here, a, a whole different 4,000 there. And that's just the men. That was not including women and children. Huge crowds. But how many of, they, of those people were left to faithfully obey what he had said to do? Only 120. Um, And it was those people who were the ones, the ones who really wanted it, that got blasted that day. And filled up. And by the way, this isn't a one-time experience where you, you know how sometimes you get the Holy Spirit and then it seems like life goes on normally. These people were pursuing it as a lifestyle. And when you pursue it as a lifestyle, you remain. So this to them is a step up. It's a permanent step up. And it's not something that's just for them. That's, That's kind of what I'm getting at. We can have that too. But it's those who really wanted it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled, and all who diligently seek him find him. David wrote in the 27th Psalm, wait for the Lord. Verse 14, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Here was a man who knew the the value of getting alone with God. Something he shared with Jesus, by the way. But he also knew the value of going up with the throng to the temple courts to praise together. Both kinds of seeking God. In a group and by yourself, and he lived that. And not the least blessing he got from that was the kingship, but he also became a mighty warrior. And he started out just a, just a little shepherd boy. So if God can do that to, for him, think of what he can do for all of us. But the blessing came because he sought the presence and he waited on the Lord. Yeah. Many Christians are saved, but haven't learned the secret of waiting, of bringing our troubles to him, casting our cares on him, Peter says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Go to him in good times and bad. Don't just pray your prayers, but pause to listen. This is a conversation, not a monologue. I don't know if you've ever tried to monologue with God. I do do this. Say my thing, say my thing, list, list, list. God, God, God. And then, all right, done praying now. (laughs) Actually, you know, he has something to say, doesn't he? And it's really good to pause and listen. And usually, just listening to his voice answers about half of your prayers right there. People who are nodding, thank you, I agree. You're smart. Seek him out in his word. Seek him in, his, in private worship times. Pre- seek him with your spouse. And seek him with fellowship with other believers. Always be in a posture of hopeful expectancy. And you'll find that special, unique blessing that will lead you to be the person you were called to be. And we see this in the Bible. 
not just a shepherd boy becoming a king, but a, a fisherman becoming an apostle. I think an apostle is slightly above a king in the kingdom. So he can transform you into something amazing. And he is. Secondly, I notice that the waiting times, the waiting times are just as important as what we might call the suddenlies. I think Mary Vaughn told a sermon where she said the suddenlies. And I, I never forgot that word. I like that word, the suddenlies. They're all over the Bible. But there's waiting times between the suddenlies. It says, suddenly Christ was lifted up into the heavens on the day he was ascended. And then there was this waiting time. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit was poured out on them on Pentecost. God loves to move suddenly for our good, doesn't he? However, between the suddenlies, there's these times where the Lord expects us to faithfully continue on in what he's told us to do. And these are crucial times. They're not time that's wasted. Faithfully pray. Faithfully fellowship. Faithfully seek Him. He told them, just hang out in Jerusalem. Easy enough? Wait, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? As He disappears, just hang out in Jerusalem. I'd like you to consider Peter. Just 51 days earlier, from Pentecost, what a mess. You remember? A blubbering wreck. Remember, he had run away with the others in the garden that night after telling Jesus, they, they might run away, I will not run away. And then Jesus is like, yes, you will. And he did. And then later that night, publicly denied Christ three times. Went back to Galilee to restore his life as a fisherman, kind of in disgrace, probably feeling pretty low. Just a mess, a train wreck. Well, whatever the first century equivalent of a train wreck would be. What would that be? Cart wreck, I guess. <coughs> what happened? All of us can transform as we wait on God. What kind of a change had a mere seven weeks wrought on Peter? I love that word, wrought. You know, the first message that was sent in a telegraph uh, across the electric wire was, what hath God wrought from the King James? It's a good word. God is always shaping and structuring what had that 51 days done for Peter? Well, it says in verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He quotes Joel off the top of his head. That's pretty good. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He goes on to tell them about Jesus. And he tells them directly. Verse 36, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, the both Lord and Messiah. I think modern sermons can be a little squishy and soft. Don't offend people. They might go to a different church. Well, there was no other church back then. So Peter's like, you crucified him. There's nothing where they could go. And it worked. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a great story, right? But where's the man who ran away? Where's the, the midnight weeper of 51 days earlier? Gone. Transformed. Completely transformed into a new man. Never to look back. Seven weeks and a day. If you ever wondered, why didn't God pour out his spirit right away after he ascended? I think it's because he knew Peter needed a little time. And maybe some of the others. I imagine Mary, was, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was ready to go right away. 
But some of the others needed that time to wait on the Lord, faithfully seek Him, and let Him transform them. So they were ready, so when the outpouring came, they could move into what God had for them. But they waited on God. Which means, if you really want to go crazy with this, and I do, the Lord set up the gap between Passover and the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, 1,500 years earlier when He gave the law to Moses, 50 days, knowing how much time Peter would need to be transformed so he was ready to go. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Peter gave an amazing sermon. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's an amazing sermon. Off the top of his head, no prep, no notes as far as we know, no iPad. When you study what he was doing, you find this even more amazing. Um, There's a Jewish tradition, it's not in the Bible, but... Their tradition was that David was born on Pentecost. And so the holiday was strongly associated with David. And they would show up and they would um, visit the tomb of David in Jerusalem. And Peter quotes David, where David says in Psalm 16, he says, You will not abandon me to the grave. His tomb is right there. You will not let your Holy One see decay. How does that work? See, there's a cognitive disconnect there. How could David write, you want to abandon me to the grave, when they, went, they were visiting his tomb that day? And he points to it and he says, Brothers and sisters, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So here's a question. How could he say that? Well, he points out to them what David meant. He says, David was a prophet. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ the son of David. Exactly the right words for the crowd on this day. Acts tells us they were cut to the heart. How did this uneducated fisherman who had returned from the nets in disgrace a few weeks earlier come up with this sermon replete with perfect Old Testament quotations and brilliant points? Perfect for that crowd and that day. The answer is obvious and has a lot of meaning for us. It doesn't matter who you are or how unqualified you feel. If God is moving in you, He makes you brilliant. He gives you exactly the words to say, as He did for Peter on that day, exactly what they needed to hear for that moment. He will do the miraculous through you. Everybody gets quiet. Someone say amen to that. He will do the miraculous through you. There's nothing God loves more than calling the unqualified to serve Him. So, if you think you're qualified in your own right, there's not a law He can do with you. Don't go to another church. (laughs) But if you know God, if you know, if you say this, Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you to give me the words. I need you to move through me. I need you to do the miracle. Then he can and will do great things through you. And many of you have experienced that, and we're all going to get there. Well, I think I'm, I think I'm wrapping this up. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to have you come up and close out the service. Thank you, guys.
I love what that message is declaring to us. That Pentecost Sunday isn't just a one day a year experience, but it's for us every day. The symbol imparts and gives us a breakthrough for what it is a symbol of. The sign gives us breakthrough into the reality of what it's a sign of. Day of Pentecost was a powerful, Pentecost powerful symbol. Day of Pentecost happened. Pentecost Sunday, powerful symbol. Daily Pentecost happens. What an invitation. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good afternoon, Holy Spirit. You can use me today, Holy Spirit. Thank you, it's not just about a Holy Spirit meeting, but it's a, I am the temple of God. And I have a Holy Spirit meeting through the course of my whole journey. Amen. Love that. I'm going to think about that. The truth sets us free, my friends. And what he, David shared today is setting us free into new levels of experiencing the whole wonderful Holy Spirit. All his gifts, all his fruits.